Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. We are finishing a series this morning uh, that we have called Here I Am. And if you have not been with us as a part of this series, our objective has been very straightforward. We are attempting, pursuing together, learning how to open our hearts more and more faithfully to God's transforming presence. And ultimately what we're after is deeper relationship with God, meaning we want to hear from him and learn to better communicate with him. And so to that end, we've been working with this very simple premise for this series, which is that every relationship requires a particular set of practices in order to prosper. Every relationship in our lives requires a particular set of practices in order for that relationship to prosper. And our relationship with God is no different. And so we have been looking at a few of these practices that do help our relationship with Jesus grow more and more. So we've talked about stillness, that we pursue through the practices of silence and solitude. We have talked about savoring scripture in a way that uh, actually grows relationship, results in relationship with him. And this morning, I wanna talk about searching for God in our everyday lives. Uh, The Bible is clear from pretty much start to finish that God is omnipresent would be the technical term, meaning that there is nowhere that we go that God is not. And so we want to talk about learning to actually search for God's presence in everyday life. So I want you to think about, to start this morning, I want you to think about a time in your life when you've had to search for something. So maybe it was car keys. We've all had that traumatic experience of, you know, you only lose your keys when you're late. I don't know if you've noticed that. You're always running behind. So maybe it's a particular piece of clothing that just mysteriously disappeared. Uh, but think about a time where you had to search for something in your life. Now, depending on the urgency of the matter or the urgency of what it is that you're searching for, you're gonna experience varying degrees of fear through that search. Oh my gosh, what if I never find this again? Like what if I don't find my ID and I can't get on the plane? What if I don't find my keys and I can't start my car and I'm gonna be late to work and it's a whole thing? So depending on the urgency, there's varying degrees of fear, maybe even like some degree of panic in the midst of it, like when you lose your kids at the mall and you're searching for them. There's panic involved in that. So think about a time that you've had to search for something. There's always a little bit of stress. It always feels a little bit frantic. And this week I had this experience all around this tiny little book. This book uh, is one of my favorite books. It's called A Simple Life-Changing Prayer. And it was something I needed for this message. And, uh, and you might think like, well, how, how hard can it be to find one book? Well, I have a lot of books. And the problem is I have my books split between my home library and the library at my study. I have like seven, I did the math this week, like roughly 700 books in my library at my office and another couple hundred at home. And so I was like, well, I think this book is at home. And so I searched my house for it. No luck, found it nowhere. Went to my office and looked at every single book on every single shelf, still no book. So at this point, I'm like, I'm gonna have to order this book again 
pay extra to get it shipped here because I needed it for like two things in a message. But then I was like, you know what? I don't know why I didn't lead with this. I decided to just ask my wife. My wife has this incredible ability, even though five of us live in a home, she knows where everyone's stuff is all the time. And so I was like, you know, she's like, she's like, I think it might be on a shelf out there. And I went and it was, it was right there, <laughs> like right on top of the stack. Could not have been more obvious that it was right there. So the panic, thankfully, went away. But just think about a time in your life where you have had to search for something. Now, on this topic of searching, I want to make what I think is a pretty obvious observation. Uh, you will never find what you are not looking for. Now, you might be like, this... You get paid to do this, huh? All, all week. Is this because the book took so long for you to find? Or, But just think about this for a second. You're, you're never going to find what you are not looking for. Now, here's why I think that that simple sentence is really important when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. You would be surprised, probably, how many times in the course of a week that I sit with someone and hear them bemoan what feels to them like the lack of presence of God in their lives. On a weekly basis, I have multiple conversations with someone saying some version of, I just don't see God at work in my life. I don't feel his presence with me. And, and, and after just like a question or two, what becomes pretty evident is there's really not a practice of looking for God's presence either which is important because you're never going to find what you do not look for. Now, I think the big problem for us is that many of us have never really been taught how do we actually search for God in daily life? How do we do that? I get that we're, we're all kind of holding on, hoping for this like burning bush moment where we're just kind of on the way and we're like, well, that shrub's on fire. That seems like Maybe God wants to talk to me from there. We're hoping for moments like that, and we haven't really trained our hearts and been taught how do we actually look for God, have eyes to see what God's doing, where he's at work in our daily lives. I mean, if you think about it, if God truly is omnipresent, if there's nowhere that we go that he's not, shouldn't we see him probably more frequently than what we do? Or does God just want to like keep us in the dark all of the time? Well, my answer to that is an emphatic no. I think the Bible's answer to that is an emphatic no. And so the truth is, and this is our big idea this morning, is this. The more faithfully that we learn to search for God's presence in our lives, the more frequently we will find him. But we have to learn to search. The more faithfully we search for God's presence, the more frequently we will find him. We all go through seasons that feel like God is absent. He never is, but we all go for thousands of years, Christians have been experiencing that phenomenon of feeling like God is apart from us. But the truth is, if we really do learn to search for him in daily life, we will find him more frequently. And so to that end, I want to talk this morning about searching for God in my daily life. And so we're going to talk about the practice of self-examination. And so we're going to follow the exact same outline that we have the last couple of weeks. We're going to look at the biblical invitation to this practice. We're going to try and face some of the obstacles to actually implementing this in our lives and then end by talking about practically how do we actually practice this in our day-to-day -day lives. So to start, let's look at the invitation. So if you have a Bible, do me a favor and open it to Psalm 139. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. So just find Psalm 139. We're going to focus our attention on the last two verses, verses 23 and 24. 
Now, just to help you understand what's taking place in the rest of this psalm, it's written by uh, a man that most of us, even if you're not a churchgoer, are familiar with, King David. David wrote a majority uh, of the Psalms. And if you don't know this about David, he lived pretty much his entire life surrounded by enemies that wanted to kill him all the time. From like a young age on, that was David's life, constantly surrounded by enemies. And Psalm 139 gives us a bit of a window into how he dealt with that. What do you do? Can you imagine having this very felt, realistic sense that there are people out to kill you all the time. That was David's life. And this is about how he dealt with it. And we see that his goal in the midst of that was just to simply to be known by God so that he could know God and that he could know himself more honestly as well. As well. And so he ends this Psalm virtually the exact same way that he begins in verse one. And so listen to these verses. He ends saying this, search me, search me God and know my heart, test me, and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So a couple things I, I want you to notice there. I want you to notice how there is this deep longing in David's heart to be known by God. He says, search me. He says, know me. He says, test me. He's inviting the spirit of God to invade every part of his life, the good, the bad, the ugly. He doesn't want to hide anything or hold anything back. He wants the spirit of God to work in his heart and in his life. And so he opens himself to that. Now this phrase, search me in Hebrew, literally means to make a diligent study of something. So think about some subject in your life that you've really had to study. So maybe you can think back to when you were in school. I mean, some of you have advanced degrees, a PhD that you have become... Uh, very, very knowledgeable on one particular subject. But my guess is we all have something on which we're like some kind of subject matter expert. So maybe you work in medicine or you work in science, or maybe you have a trade and you've been highly skilled, but you had to really study to learn how to do this. For like three years straight, I've been reading on almost only one subject, which is how does God form people? For me, I think that's the most important thing for me to understand. I think that's the most important work that we commit ourselves to is being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so I have read and I have talked and I have listened and I'm trying to really study and understand how does God form people. And so David here is inviting the spirit of God to study his whole life, his whole heart. Now what's interesting is he does not do this so that God will learn new information. Because in verse one, he says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. So what's interesting in this is that David is not like, God, it seems like there's some things you don't really know about me, so why don't you come take a fresh look? David is inviting God to search him so that David can better know himself and so that he can better know God. He's inviting the spirit of God, opening his life to a relationship with God marched by, marked by knowing one another. And notice that, again, it's not just like the sanitized, nice parts of David's life. Because if you know anything about David, he had some very, very dark spots. 
despite the fact that the scriptures call him a man after God's own heart. And so he invites God to say, man, see if there's any offensive way in me. He's saying, if there is any obstacle to our relationship, if there is anything in me that is hindering what you want to do, man, draw my attention to that. I want to see that. So he's asking God to show him, like we've been talking about, these points of unlikeness. Help me to see where I am not like you. So it's kind of like he's plumbing his own soul, making sure that there's nothing that would block the flow of relationship with God. And then he says, ends by saying, man, lead me in the the way everlasting, the everlasting way, which implies this sort of relational, long relational journey. So I think about like, if you've ever seen a couple like in their 80s or their 90s, they've been married for like 60, 70 years. The oddest thing happens where they start to look the same and they talk very similar, and and truly in this really beautiful way, you see a couple like that become one in the end. It's a relational journey, and that is an apt picture of what we are invited into by God, this ongoing, all-of-life process of relationship with him. And so what we learn in Psalm 139 is that David was committed to the work of self-examination, And that for hundreds and thousands of years, Christians have been called to the work of self-examination, looking at our hearts, looking at our actions, looking for God in everyday life. And it's not, if there's anything in you that feels resistance to that, like, well, that that seems like kind of narcissistic. Self-reflection, self-examination is just narcissism. It's like this spiritual navel-gazing and who really wants to be a part of this. But notice, this is not that. Ultimately, what David's after, ultimately what we are after as we do the work of self-examination is we are on the search for God because God is at work in us. He's at work in us. And when we don't pay attention to where he is and where he's working, we not only will live with moral, emotional, mental, relational blind spots, we're going to miss God. So as we begin to talk about how do do we work with the Spirit of God to know ourselves and to know Him, ultimately what we are after is God. Now the challenge is there are a number of things that obstruct our ability to do that. The obvious one is oftentimes we're not taught how, which we're going to try to remedy this morning. But the truth is even if we do know how, there are other things that can obstruct us from doing the work of self-examination and searching for God in our daily life. I have a few that I want to talk about this morning. The first is what I would call selective recall. So let's say, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning through a very specific type of prayer, is looking back on the past 24 hours, trying to identify where where was God in that? Where was he? What was he inviting me to? How did I respond to his invitation? So let's say that you look back, you reflect on a 24-hour period, you reflect on the last week. Oftentimes we do that with selective recall, meaning we sanitize the bad parts and then we often sometimes ignore the good parts. And the truth is both of those, like even though they err on opposite ends of a spectrum, they are both massive errors because they don't truly look at the sum of life. Now, here's how we have selective recall and we sanitize the bad. We look back and we think, uh, where was that? I was really kind of harsh to my kids. That, but I did pray that day. 
And so we, we choose to ignore maybe the failure on our part and we go, but I did pray. And there was, I opened that door for that old guy. At the, I'm, I'm pretty much like Jesus. So let's focus there and ignore that selective recall. We're not looking at the sum. But you know, another way that we do this, I think one of the most common errors in Christian thinking is the belief that because God is always good, life is always good. And so that, that, what happens in that is that even though it may feel like the world is ending around us, which there's been some moments the last couple years where it felt like, this is the apocalypse, we have arrived. But I watched some Christians go through that thinking, well, God's good, so I can't say that anything's not good, like everything's good, everything's fine, and everything's not always good and fine. We need to be able to maintain the tension between the fact that God is always only good and sometimes life sucks. Both those things are, can be true at the same time. And we can't enter in to prayer of lament and mourning that we see in scripture if we are constantly trying to sanitize the hard parts of life. But on the other end of the spectrum, some of us ignore the good. The truth is, it's a lot easier to see what's broken in life than it is to see what's good. Good takes work. To see God's goodness, especially when you do go through circumstances like we've all been through over the last couple of years. There were days it was really hard to see, man, where, where is God good in all of this? And so both of these are problematic because both of them are an example of selective recall and we miss the sum of God's story and hours within that. But that's not the only obstacle. A second one would be emotional avoidance. Emotional avoidance. Uh, reflection means facing uncomfortable emotions much of the time. And so often we avoid that. We don't want to feel the discomfort of emotions that are not pleasant. And the problem is when we avoid the uncomfortable, we risk missing where God is trying to draw our attention. Because we believe that God is working even in our grief, even in our fear and our worry. And when we avoid that, we miss where God might want to be working. And then thirdly, and kind of related to that, I think some of us have this fear. We don't want to practice much reflection because we have this fear of getting beat up. Meaning like, oh man, if I, if I really do, though, I'm pretty aware that I'm broken. And if I spend much time on reflection, I'm just going to be beat up with all of my guilt and all of my shame because of all of my failure. So why in the world would I want to beat myself up? Why would I want to sit with God and have him beat me up about all the areas that I failed? And the truth is nobody likes to feel beat up, right? Not, not, not emotionally, not mentally, not spiritually, not physically. I'm sad to report I've like reached this age where I can wake up injured and not because I got injured the day before, that somehow I got injured from sleeping. I woke up the other day, I had this massive bruise on my thigh, and I was like, I didn't get hit, I didn't, I'm an adult, like, that's not a fighter, I didn't get kicked, like, nothing happened, I just somehow bruised myself in my sleep. So sometimes you just have one of those mornings, you wake up and you're like, oh, I feel like I got beat with a bag of sticks. I had a couple of those mornings this week, but I uh, had an excuse. We were, we were lucky enough to have Matt and Megan's little girls stay with us for a couple days this week. If you don't know, they're three little kids that are just look for the most adorable ones and that they rise to the top pretty quick. They're usually running the halls in utter, they're, they're, 
their, their cuteness is balanced by their chaos. So they're running around somewhere most of the time. And so Indy, their little two-year-old, <clears throat> she, she climbed into bed with me and Tammy. And it's been a minute since I've had a toddler climb into my bed. And at first it was so, so like she climbed, she put her arm around my neck and I was like, this is, this is great. We should have more kids. This is just beautiful. <laughs> and then, and then, and then I fell asleep like that with all those warm feelings. And that's when the violence started. <laughs> because what I'd forgotten is sleeping next to a toddler is like being in a cage fight. And, and she just became like, so the second night I was, I was like, well, I can't repeat last night. So I got to be smarter than this kid. So I built this like pillow thing around her really for me more than her, but I built these pillows around her. And I remember in the middle of the night laying back going like, smarter than the two-year-old. And no sooner had that thought crossed my mind, I, know, I still don't know if she went under the pillow, if she went through it, she came over the top, but I got struck in my side that I was like, what do I have to do? Tammy had just left, she abandoned the room, she was on the couch, we had a king bed, and I'm on the edge like this, and I just woke up feeling like this kid just beat the life out of me last night. And she's like this big. It's unbelievable. So nobody likes the feeling in any sense of being beat up. And that is a great fear that we have. If I sit honestly with God, I'm just going to get beat up with all of this guilt. But I want you to hear and to know God has no desire to beat us up. The scriptures talk of Jesus as being gentle and merciful and kind, and patient. And are there things in our lives that are unhealthy for us, that he wants us to see and to face, that he wants to remove? Is there uncomfortable wounds that he wants us to look at so that he can provide healing? Yes, absolutely. But God's heart is never to beat us up. And so if you feel beat up by the act of reflection. No, the act is not the problem. It's the approach to it that somehow we've missed God's heart in. Because God wants to sit with us in a way that is formational for sure and does involve changing and removing these points of unlikeness, but he always sits with us in a way that is patient and gentle and kind. And so the question then is, how, how do we do this work in a way that doesn't beat us up? And that does lead to our formation. And it's to that end that I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about this ancient practice uh, that is called the prayer of examine. The prayer of examine. It comes from a Latin word, this word examine, that means two things. It means examination, and it also means an act of weighing or judging. And the prayer of examine is an intentional time of thankful reflection on where God is in everyday life. Let me say that again. It is an intentional time of thankful reflection on where God is in everyday life. So this dates back to uh, at least the third or fourth century in its origin. So it's like Christians have been practicing this for a very, very long time. <clears throat> Excuse me, but about 500 years ago, St. Ignatius of Loyola made a very significant change to the way that the examine was prayed and practiced. For years, it had just been used as a way to look for areas of sin and, a need, and that we needed to confess. But he made a couple of alterations, mainly just in the focus, and made it a way to experience God and 
to face ourselves. So it's this reflective habit that tunes us to God's presence in our lives and his leading and helps us to see where he is at work, what he's inviting us to, and, and make a, a, a note of how we are responding to that. And so it has basically five movements that make it up. Some of these are, they're not, they don't always go in sequential order, though they can. Oftentimes there's some overlap in these, but I want you to understand these movements as we make our way through the prayer of exam. And so to start, we're, we're two ways this gets practiced. One is, uh, is on a daily basis, and the other option is a weekly basis. So some people like to practice this at the end of the night and they reflect back on the past 24 hours or they, on the Sabbath, Saturday, Sunday, whatever that time might be, might look back at an entire week, okay? So that's what we're looking at is either a 24 or a seven day period. And it has these five movements. Here's the first one. Number one is inviting Holy Spirit's leading. Inviting the Spirit of God's leading in this prayer. Uh, This is not a solitary work. I think that, that sometimes we feel with God as though we're in this kind of cosmic game of hide and seek, that he's trying to be distant from us, that he's trying to uh, make it hard for us to find him, and he's not. And so we just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to see where you are at work. That's what David was praying when he said, search me, know me, test me. He's saying, show me where you are in my life. Where have you been working? Where have you been present? the last 24 hours. Secondly, we thank God for his goodness. So we've opened, we've said, Holy Spirit, please shine your light on any place where I am sensing darkness, where I don't see where you're at work, or I don't understand myself, bring light. And then we move into a time of thanking God for his goodness. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in everything. In Colossians 2.7, he says that we should be overflowing with gratitude. Now, this is important for us because it's hard. Seeing what's broken in life, as I said a second ago, that's pretty easy, right? Just watch the news, open social media. You can make a long list of what's broken in the world. I'm sure that right now you could make a long list of things in your life that are hard, that you wish you could change, that you wish were different. So seeing what's broken is easy. Identifying goodness identifying why we always can be grateful to God for something is much more work. And so is what you're, all you're doing is thinking through, again, a 24-hour period, looking for any experience of God's goodness. And it could be like, like it's really nice that we're not, I don't know, sitting outside, that we have chairs. You've ever sat on the ground as an adult? It's a horrible experience. <laughs> A chair is a sign of God's goodness to anyone over the age of seven, okay? But I'm serious, looking at no matter how small it is, because what we want to do is we want just this deep reservoir of God's goodness in our lives, because that sets us up then to wade into some of these other things that we want to face in ourselves that are less comfortable. It establishes this foundation of, look how good this God is in my life, and he is therefore safe with me to take a look at these other things that are going on inside me and around me. So we ask, Holy Spirit's leading, we thank God for his goodness. Thirdly, we search the prior day for his presence. Search the prior day for his presence. So imagine you had the last 24 hours on a YouTube video. You're gonna scrub your way through that video, okay? 
So thinking through like every, maybe an hour increments, what did the prior day hold? And what you're really looking for, you can, if you were to Google the prayer of exam, you'll find a hundred different ways to practice this. And so let me just uh, recommend one. You're looking for two things, okay? You're looking for what Ignatius called feelings of consolation or desolation. So you think back through the day, and you were asking, Lord, where did I experience consolation, which is this, the feeling of being close to God, God being close to you, or close to another person. So, and then the other thing that we're looking for is desolation, which is the opposite. Times that we had where it's like, man, it feels like God's far. I'm, I experience I'm some, some like resistance inside of me. I'm fearful, I'm angry, I'm sad, any, any of that. Where do I feel distance from another person? Those are experiences of desolation. And God is in both and wants to draw our attention oftentimes to both. So, and again, like not everything has to be some big supernatural event. Here's one I had the other day. I was praying in my backyard. It was like that one day that we had like a month ago where it just happened to be 60 when everything else had just been like rainy and cold. So I was in my backyard and I was praying and, I, and this is going to sound cheesy to you and that's okay. Um, so I had this moment where the sun is out and I was praying and <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing to even share with you out loud. And a butterfly flew by my face. I'm a 41 year old man. Okay. This butterfly, we had a moment. Okay. But, but here's what I, I was really, I was spending the day really praying and reflecting on the last couple of years and where we're headed uh, as a church family and in my own life and our own family. And there has been so much that has been so hard. It's just felt like this two year holding pattern of like being in the house, not being able to travel, like churches on the internet, churches in person, churches awkward, no matter like just all of this stuff going on. And I had this real sense when a butterfly flew by my fa face of God saying to me, the season's changing. And that was powerful for me because the physical season's changing. It's getting warmer, which is good. I'm, I'm all done with winter this year. But this season that we have all been in for the last two years, it is changing. And it's the first time in two years I've even felt confident enough to say that. There is a new season of healing ahead. There is a new season of growth ahead. And had I not taken the time to stop and intentionally reflect, I could have totally missed that. And so again, you just look like God might use a butterfly. It could be the smallest thing that if we allow the Spirit of God to direct our attention there, it can be profound in our lives. And that experience was profound for me with something as simple as a butterfly going by. And so review the day and look for these areas of consolation where we feel drawn to God or desolation, where we feel that, feel that tendency to pull away from God or from people, okay? Fourthly, we, are, we confess our failures. As we do that review of the day, one of the things that is gonna surf, surface is we're gonna see, man, there's some ways I was not loving there are some ways that I was not like Christ, and we confess those. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what's amazing about practicing confession as a Christian. You always confess your sin from a place of freedom. Always. That's why we need never be afraid or ashamed of, of confession, 
Jesus has already wiped away the guilt of sin. You are already loved and accepted by God. God knows your past, present, and future sin and says, you are mine, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are in Christ. I love you, I am for you, and I know that you fail. And we can confess those failures to him and we can receive forgiveness without any fear of, well, maybe, maybe this time he's not going to. No, he already has. And so what we need is we need to get in touch with the areas that we fail, and then we find freedom and relational restoration with God and one another as we confess them. So fourthly, we confess, and then lastly, we end by asking the Holy Spirit for help for the day ahead. So the first part of our exam looks back, the, next part, the ending part looks ahead to what's ahead of me today. In John 14, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our counselor, our helper. He longs to help us with just the day-to-day. So this morning, as I did my exam, I prayed that God would help me teach well, like not fall off my stool, not forget what I was going to say. Both of those things have happened before, so that's a real thing to pray about for me. We're getting ready to drive to Arizona for spring break and to see family, so I prayed for safe travel. I prayed for patience because we're going to be with extended family. Amen on that. Nobody else has to pray for that. It's just always perfect all the time. So I prayed about it because that's what's ahead of me for today. And I believe that God wants to be with me in the day-to-day of everything that takes place. So we ask, invite Holy Spirit's leading. We thank God for his goodness. We search the prior day for his presence, looking for areas of consolation and desolation. We confess any failure and we ask the Spirit of God for help. So here's how I want to close out this series. My hope and my goal for these three parts is that this would become, these three things would become the way that we sit with God every day. That these three practices would mark our time with God on a daily basis. So not that we would have like, well, Tuesday is my silent day and Wednesday is my Lectio day and Thursday is my, no, these, these can mark our time with God every single day. And so I want to bring this all together real briefly here at the end in something I'm calling the three by five method. So if you have the Church Center app, you don't have to open it right now, but if you go to the homepage of the Church Center app, there is a button right there that says the three by five method. And what it has is some instructions on how to bring these three practices together and to practice them every single day. So it involves taking these three practices, spending, setting a timer, and spending five minutes on each one of them. So five minutes of stillness, five minutes savoring scripture, and five minutes praying the examine. Five, five, five. So 15 minutes, no matter how busy we are. And I know some of you are very, very busy. We have to be able to carve 15 minutes. And you might feel like, well, 15 minutes, does, can that really make a difference? I did the math. I'm not good at math, so you can double check this. But if you spent, if you did this just five days a week, okay, five days a week, every week of the year, you'd spend like 65 hours a year sitting with God, which for many of us is like 64 hours more than we probably are. And so you might practice this and you might find like, oh man, this, I, I need more time to savor God's word. I need more time for the examine. So you, you might find it's quite easy to spend 30 minutes, an hour even, with God. But to start, just think of it as three by five. Five minutes of stillness, five minutes savoring scripture, and five minutes praying the examine. 
uh, on the Church Center app. You have all of the prompts, all of the questions that we've talked about for the last three weeks. It's all there on one page and can guide your time with God. So I want to invite you to check that out. Now, as we close, three points of encouragement to close this series, okay? The first one is, please, please, please use what you have received. If you walk away and all you have is an increased knowledge that solitude is good, that there is another way to sit with Scripture, that it is important to live a reflective life. If all you do is walk away with more information on these subjects, then truthfully, it's just completely useless. These are called practices for a reason. They're meant to be implemented into our lives. So please, use what you've received. Secondly, be patient with discomfort. If you have never practiced, if you've never prayed the examine before, you might find like, it feels clunky moving through these five. It's okay. It's going to get to a point where you won't need the questions. You won't need the prompts. It's like breathing. But if it's new, it's going to feel a little uncomfortable and a little clunky. Let it be a little clunky. It's okay. Be patient with it. Be patient and just sit with that discomfort until it becomes more natural. And then lastly, please ask me for help if you're stuck. If you feel like, I've been trying to do this Lectio Divina thing, it doesn't make sense to me, it feels foreign, whatever, talk to me. We're going to start, hopefully in the next month, some group spiritual direction. I'm already doing some individual spiritual direction with people, and this is a huge part of what spiritual direction helps us with, is how to implement these practices into our lives in a meaningful way so that we can actually relate with God. So if you're stuck, ask me for help. And we can start that uh, right now as we do some text message Q&A. So let me pray for us to close out this time and this series, and then we'll do uh, a little bit of Q&A, all right? Father, thank you that you are with us, that there is nowhere we go that you are not, that we are never alone, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. And Lord, we just admit that oftentimes we, we don't sense your presence with us. We don't see it. We don't feel it. And so, Lord, we, we want to set our lives in such a way, position our lives in such a way that we would really begin to diligently search for you. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, that, that even in these small ways that apart from intention, we would just totally miss. Lord, I pray that we would begin to find you all over the place, that we would see your goodness, that we would identify where you are at work in us, areas that you are comforting and healing and stretching and growing us. Lord, we want to see you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to search everyday life for you. Help us to be uh, patient as we begin to implement some of these practices together. And ultimately, Lord, we just continue to ask that you would draw us more and more into a meaningful, deep relationship with you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.